Welcome to Marvel Us Disney. Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more interesting divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this episode on Monday, June 24th. And when I say we're talking about the most recent doings, I'm serious. I'm surprising poor Aaron now because as I was making him watch a trailer before we talk here, Marvel Entertainment and do you know the Samuel French company, Aaron? No, not familiar. Okay, they're the folks who you'd license plays from for community theater and high school and that sort of thing. So, you know, God help you if you, you were a kid and had to sit through Neil Simon's Barefoot in the Park. That That's how where your high school license it through. Where Marvel Entertainment and Samuel French announced that they are teaming to do a series of three one-act plays that are being developed for to be performed by teenagers at high school and community theater. And the titles of these plays, the series is called Marvel Spotlight Plays, and they are three comedies. One is Squirrel Girl Goes to College. This one I know you'll love, Aaron. Hammered, a Thor and Loki play. And then Mirror of Most Value, a Ms. Marvel play. They're not kidding around. Actually, Hammered... A Thor and Loki play? Please tell me they just get drunk and tell stories. First of all, it, it's written by two-time Tony Award winner Christian Borle. And here's the, the storyline. One is the Norse god of thunder, master of the storm, lord of living lightning, and heir to the throne of eternal Asgard. The other born of a frost giant, but now the Norse god of mischief. And yet they are brothers, and together they are the mighty Thor and Loki. Let's see, this play will feature Odin and Freya, Sif, Hemdale, and the Warriors Three, along with a Thor at the end of his life, along with his three granddaughters. Every time I figure I know what direction Marvel Entertainment is going in, they do something like this and totally throw me. Oh, we didn't chat about this, but no, while, because... we're, while we're talking... Another yeah. thing that we didn't chat about is the mm -hmm. uh, 4321 web Yes, yes. Did you ever find out what that was about? It's J.J. Abrams and his son are writing a Spider-Man comic book. What? Yeah, that's the big reveal. <laughs> oh, okay. It's going to be coming out. I want to say it was like in September. They had a new enemy, and I don't want to poo on their ideas because they haven't said anything about it. It could be mm. fantastic. I mean, J.J. Abrams has come up with some amazing entertainment over the years but and then then there's some that hasn't been as amazing so okay. we have to let him roll the dice and then when the story comes out and we're able to read it then we'll be able to say whether it was worth our time or not but there's the fact that they had to have this webbing to create some well it created the buzz it got people talking about what it, what could it be what could it be and sure, that's sure. the whole point of that that's as far as that 4321 goes is to get people talking about what is it what is it what is it and then they they say jj abrams and his son are writing a spider-man story and everyone goes okay we'll come back in september and see what that's all about so the speculation from the last show has now been resolved that's what it is come back in september and then we can talk about it again i don't know if you saw the stories last week about how there's this bidding war in Hollywood right now as to where J.J. will set up his production company. And the current scuttlebutt is that J.J. is going to end up at Warner's. And I can't help but think that as Disney was trying 
to close the deal. You know, hey, do you and your son want to do a comic book for Marvel? Jeez, I, I'm son, sure I, that I think it was maybe his son's idea, and then he approached Disney and Marvel and said, hey, I got an idea I want to do with my son. And if you get a, a storyteller who's known for, I mean, he's handled the relaunch of the Star Trek movies as well as the Star Wars movies, okay? Oh, so God. No, 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 no. People no, have course. entrusted him with some holy grails out there. Yeah. So it's yeah. not going to be like they're going to slam the door in his face and go, get out of here, sucker. They're going to at least no. sit down at a table and give him a cup of coffee and go, so, what's on your mind? <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I agree. I agree. It'll just just be interesting to see how this all plays out. Sure. And, oh, and, and speaking of, of the way things are playing out, Aaron and I have talked endlessly on this podcast about Endgame and its box office. But just this past weekend, Aaron, Endgame actually did it, that it managed to, its worldwide box office total this past weekend reached, and I want to get this number right, 2,749,603,000 which means that that Russo Brothers movie has finally surpassed what Avatar earned back in during its original theatrical run in 2009-2010, which was $2,749,064,328. Does this mean that James Cameron is now going to send a nice piece of artwork with some Navi handing off a little congratulations to the Avengers? Well, not so fast. Oh, uh, what's holding it back? What's stopping okay. it? It turns out, in kind of your Major League Baseball kind of way, if you look at the stat, there's actually an asterisk because it turns out that this James Cameron film was actually re-released to theaters after 2009 to 2010. And so the current box office total for Avatar is, if you get the all-time box office title, is $38.3 million higher. So if Endgame's actually going to shatter Avatar's all-time lifetime theatrical box office, it's not enough to do what that film did back in 2009-2010. It's still got to earn that $38.3 million. And But you, of course, have seen the stories in the past week about how Disney's now putting... Avengers Endgame back into theaters this coming Friday mm -hmm. with what seven more minutes of, of footage? Mostly credits. <laughs> Probably. You're not wrong. Yeah, we found a, a couple of key grips we left right, out the right. last time yeah. around. As Aaron and I are recording this, the advance tickets for uh, Avengers Endgame are going on sale. So it's entirely possible that as we're sitting here, Aaron, the film could actually blow past just on the advanced sale of tickets. We'll have to check on that at the end of the show. Yeah, yeah. What else is in the news? Uh, Marvel is headed back to Hall H at San Diego Comic-Con, which, in fact, we, we were talking just a moment or so of, about Loki. One of my favorite memories ever at being San Diego Comic-Con was being there the year that Tom Hiddleston stood on stage in full Loki makeup and proceeded to turn the meeting into kind of a teeny tiny fan event slash Nazi rally. It was amazing. It's online. I've seen that. It's really, really good. Yeah. He had total command over the audience. And it, would, it was, I mean, they always do such a good show, whether it's 
Robert Downey literally dancing all the way through the audience or that sort of thing. I mean, it is sort of the white hot center of the pop culture universe. But for the last couple of years, they didn't do it in 2017 because the D23 Expo was being held and Marvel Studios trying to be the good corporate citizen sort of held a lot of stuff back for that. And then in, in 2018, last year, they really decided that, you know, there wasn't a whole lot to say. I mean, you know, obviously there was Infinity Wars and they didn't want to necessarily give away what was going to happen in Endgame or necessarily their plans for Phase 4. And again, I know there is no Phase 4. Right. So knowing that and knowing that the D23 Expo was being held in Anaheim, August 26th to the 29th, I believe. Oh, excuse me, 23rd to the 26th. Clearly Marvel's not coming, but no, they announced they're going to be there. And I think... You were talking about, well, of course they're going to be there, Jim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've got a whole lot of stuff that they have not been talking about on purpose. They had mm-hmm. Endgame ready to come out, so obviously they didn't want to reveal that. And more importantly, after the fact of, if we say that there's a Doctor Strange 2 movie or a Spidey 2 movie, that just reveals that these people survive Endgame. So they haven't even been able to talk about anything that comes after Endgame. So they had a whole chunk of time where they had radio silence with everybody. The only thing they would say is, we have Endgame coming out. After that, who knows? And they played Mum up until now. Endgame is out. They've released all the spoiler bans, and and so people can talk about it freely on the interwebs and make memes about it. You've got Spider-Man 2 just on the horizon from right now, but by the time that comes out, and then you finally get to Hall H., they have a whole world of stuff that they need to tease. And they've got Disney Plus shows. They've got a whole bunch of the MCU movies to reveal and talk about at greater depth, I hope, than what they have thus far outside of some titles of, you know, <laughs> yes, there will be a Captain Marvel 2. That's it. Like, okay. So I want a little bit more than that, hopefully, during these panels. But, uh, yeah, there's there's a lot that they can discuss right now. How about a new Howard the Duck movie? Is that on the horizon yet? I have some Howard the Duck-related news that I'm not allowed to share yet. Oh, after, uh, after the show. <laughs> we, we, we will talk about that on a future show. Getting back to Comic-Con, in fact, one of the reasons why people were certain that Marvel was going to take a pass was that Warner's actually backed out of, of and we're talking Warner Studios, not Warner Television. In fact, just today, Warner Television announced a slew of panels and programming things that they're going to be doing at this year's San Diego Comic-Con. In fact, folks, we're going to see a lot of programming news break over the next couple of weeks, but it just, it sort of started people, particularly with Wonder Woman 84 opening next year, that it's like, well, of course you're coming to Comic-Con, right? And it was Patty Jenkins, the the director of the original Wonder Woman film and, and also the director of of Wonder Woman 84, who said, sorry guys, the promotional push doesn't actually begin till December this year, so we're not going to be there, but we'll, we'll miss you. I'm kind of surprised they wouldn't at least take a little time to push the Joker movie that's coming out. I am as surprised, honestly, as you are, but they are doing things in what they refer to as the Comic-Con campus. Okay. I mean, for example, we've got It Chapter 2 coming right. this, this fall. Yep. And what they've decided to do is to do outside of the main convention hall. 
uh, away from Hall H. They're doing a thing they call Scare Diego. So it's sort of a standalone event that will promote it, Chapter 2. The Shining, that was Warner Brothers, wasn't it? It was. Okay, so here's the thing that just happened recently, and uh, I'm going to end up editing this out, but I got to ask you. The mm-hmm. new trailer came out for Dr. Sleep, which is a sequel to The Shining. Stephen mm-hmm. King absolutely hated The Shining movie by Stanley Kubrick. Yep. They have convinced the directors, the, the ones that created the story, uh, maybe it was the writers instead, not the director, or writer-director, mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyway, they talked Stephen King into not only are they going to make Dr. Sleep the movie, starring Ewan McGregor as, uh, what is his name, Danny? Danny, yeah. Danny, yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. so so now it's Ewan McGregor as an adult, Danny, and uh, they have flashbacks where he pokes his head through the door that Jack peeks his head through when he does the here's Johnny line, and it's creepy as but they, they have shots of him riding his tricycle down the hallways of the Overlook, and I don't know what the hell that they said to convince Stephen King to allow them to actually pull footage from the Kubrick version of the movie to do the sequel film to this book because he specifically wrote the book to disacknowledge the movie. He did. Yeah. He did. And in fact, you know, it's it's interesting you say that because remember, there was the Shining miniseries that was done, I want to say, in 97 with Steven Weber. Yeah, from Wings. Wings, yeah, yeah. yeah. Did that one have the topiary animals yes. that came to life? Yes, it or? did. Yes. Yeah. Very bad CG, yeah. but we still loved it at the time, yeah. Yeah, and but that's the thing. I think over time, King has come to accept the fact that while... He may not love it, others do. Yeah, yeah. and you know, it, and it's just sort of like the, the look of it has become so iconic. In fact, it's like a quarter of Ready Player One that's set at the Overlook, isn't there? Yeah, 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 yeah. it's great, yeah. So, yeah, the, the idea that this movie was coming out and Stephen King gave his thumbs up to use actual footage from the Shining film that he hates so much and has blasted mm-hmm. so famously over the years just makes mm-hmm. me want to see Dr. Sleep that much more because the trailer, if you liked mm-hmm. The Shining as a movie, this trailer will put you exactly in that mood where you crave being back in that environment. And I really don't think they're going to use it a whole lot, but I think mm-hmm. they featured it heavily in this trailer to get suckers oh, no, like no, me pulled into it. They definitely did. And I figure, I, again, I'm apologizing. I don't have the name of the director, but I saw an interview that he did, and everyone just said, oh, my God, they they used footage from the original shot, and he said, no, no, he didn't. What? The only shot from the original 1980s Shining is the elevator. Everything else that you see is a recreation. And, in fact, wow. somewhere online, I think somebody's actually taken shots from the individual trailer and put them side by side, and it's downright eerie, Aaron. I mean, they, they have matched it so beautifully. yeah. And I forget who it is. I think it's Andrew Stanton at Pixar, who is the hugest Shining fan. He's the one, for example, if you're actually watching the original Toy Story and you get upstairs in Sid's house, the carpeting is actually the carpeting from the hallway with Danny rolls down on the big wheel. Uh. He knew that it would get for a certain subset of film goers that would set them off, you know, to the effect of why am I suddenly really, really, really concerned for Buzz and Woody? And it's like, well, that's the carpet from the Shining's hallway. So. Wow. 
That's awesome. That is awesome. So, all right. All right. Back anyway, to uh, getting back to Marvel-related <laughs> news. So, okay, we've been trying to keep you guys up to breast about what's going on with the Black Widow movie. We talked about when they began principal photography of this Kate Shirland film in Norway back on May 28th. We also, I guess, should have mentioned production shifted to Pinewood Studios, though, Aaron, you're going to love this because again, how many times in uh, the Marvel movies have Natasha and Hawkeye talked about Budapest? It turns out, evidently, this week they are actually shooting in Budapest. Oh, yeah. So we're, fi- we're finally going to get to see that scene. We're finally going to get to see what it was, that why these two have a very distinct memory of That means of that we get a Hawkeye in this movie, yeah? It would have to. For, from your lips. You know, <laughs> to I'm, to I'm, Feige's I'm, ears. <laughs> there we go. So, And speaking of which, Feige, just in the past couple of weeks, puts out something interesting in regard to prequels. This is a quote from an interview he did about you know what they're, they're trying to do with Black Widow. That's, uh, there are ways to do prequels that are less informative or answer questions you, you didn't necessarily have. And then there are ways to do prequels where you learn all sorts of things that you never knew before. So again, plays into the whole Budapest thing, but... Off of the set in Budapest, uh, there were some photos taken of, uh, I, I want to say it was, they used some dummies for stunt work and that sort of thing. And they, there was a box that was labeled Natasha for the dummy that, of course, Scarlett Johansson, who she plays in the film. But then, then there was another box right alongside of it. And this was supposedly for the character that Florence Pugh has been playing in the movie. And all it said on it was Yelena. That's Y-E-L-E-N-A. Marvel fans have supposedly taken that information and extrapolated it out that the character that Florence could be playing in the movie is Yelena Belova? Yeah, Yelena Belova. Uh, So who is Yelena Belova? Yelena Belova is a different Black Widow. Uh, (laughs) That's about it. Oh, uh, okay change mantles so to speak and that has happened from time to time where one character will leave their world behind and another one will pick up their quiver so to speak and take over as as them while they're gone and this one she's a a blonde version of a black widow and her first appearance apparently was in humans number five in march of 99 so she's been around for 20 years in Mm -hmm. timeline and uh who knows what she's been up to during all those years? Maybe we'll find out some of her exploits. I mean, I, since I don't follow that character in particular, I have not mm-hmm. seen any of her crossover adventures where she's leaped into any of the comics that I've been reading at this moment. So if there is a good storyline that someone is aware of for this particular character, we go, aha, they might be doing this little bit from her to bring that into a Black Widow movie. Uh, you know, give us a shout out at Twitter. Yes, please. You know, the, the, the love whatever insight you can toss our way. Now, speaking of insight, you may recall earlier this year, Ned Benson was hired to do a rewrite of the Black Widow script. And what was kind of interesting is this was done, evidently concerns at both Disney and Marvel Studios, was the worry that given the current form of the, the screenplay for Black Widow at that point, that if they filmed that, they'd end up with an R-rated movie, and they really didn't want to do that. And I know, Garen, you've been talking about how you really wanted to see, you know, on the heels especially of the the R-rated Deadpool movies, you wanted to see an an R-rated 
Black Widow movie, but the trailer for Anna, the new Luc Besson, am I saying that name yeah, right? Yeah, Luc Besson. Luc Besson. You and I are both big fans of, well, of course, the, the professional and, and the fifth element. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this, nobody does action scenes over the top violence quite like Luke. But, right. But the trailer for Anna, the, the, the listener sent it to me, it's like, doesn't this look like what you hope the Black Widow trailer looks like? Yeah. And what did you think? It had all the right ingredients. It was sexy. It was violent. It was the chocolate and peanut butter of that type of cinema. It was everything that you could hope for. And yeah, I mean, the only thing that made it not explicitly a Black Widow trailer was there's a sandy beach and a very tropical, you know, ocean view and some scantily clad bodies at that moment. And to me, Black Widow takes place first in Moscow somehow because mm-hmm. she's a Russian spy. So I, I want like snow covered onion spires, Kremlin in the background scene somewhere in there in the opening. Mm-hmm. And then she can go through, if she has to go through her training montage, that's fine. Go through that. And then when you get to the mission, then fly her off somewhere that could be more exotic. So that was the one moment where I went, Oh no, that's definitely someone else's adventure. This black widow movie is, is got to have snow in it first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but beyond that, yeah, the, the action, the, the look of it was very, very stylized, clean, crisp, action that sometimes I, I get frustrated with the handheld shaky cam during a fight scene to kind of cover up what may be poor choreography but this looked mm. sharp and clean and steady and when you saw someone get punched it, there was no shake you saw it you know hit and it looked like it hurt yeah <laughs> that's mm. that's what I want to see out of that type of cinema and, and Luke does a fantastic job of making that impact of of the violence uh, resonate a little bit more no, I agree. I, just based on the trailer, I got to chase this thing down. It just it looked amazing. Speaking of things, it actually looked pretty good until you looked a little closer. Did did you see this whole thing about the Nick Fury Spider-Man Far From Home poster? No, I have not seen Nick Fury's Far oh, From Home poster. Okay. So here, out ahead of the, the release of you know Columbia Pictures, uh, Spider-Man Far From Home, on July 2nd, uh, we got... A poster of Nick Fury because you know of course Samuel Jackson's Nick Fury character you know factors into the storyline and the problem is that somebody in the graphics department decided when they were laying out a, a poster that yeah I know it's got the eye patch on the left but if I flip it you know it looks so much better given the way that Jackson is standing if I flip the image and I then put the logo for the film just off to his left and the thing is that Mr. Jackson saw this and immediately began to tweet out it's like and so this is the tweet and I'm going to try to figure out how to do this family friendly what in the actual F is going on here and then the hashtags were heads gonna roll left eye motherfucker (laughs) I thought that was kind of cool though in a weird sort of way this reminds me of my favorite Disney flip related story was called the mickey mouse review it was a, an opening day attraction at walt disney world park opened in october of 71 and the gimmick of the show was that you actually went into an auditorium and there on stage was an orchestra made entirely out of audio animatronic disney characters mickey minnie winnie the pooh the, the, okay you queue up outside the theater you come inside, they hold you and show you a pre-show film for like 10 minutes, and then you're loaded into the main auditorium. 
they showed you this film that it was sort of the highlights of Mickey's career. And, and as it was time now to go into the auditorium, they cut to a piece of footage that had actually been shot at Disneyland. And here's Mickey marching out of the entrance of Sleeping Bitty Castle. Behind him is the Disneyland band. And what he does is, hey, kids, come on. And then he goes screen left and basically marches into the theater and of course screen left are where the automatic doors are to you know which open for the auditorium and the audience feeds in and the show begins and so okay we jump now to early 1980s the walt disney company is building tokyo disneyland and the executives of the oriental land company they say "Ooh, we really like that mickey mouse review could we have something like that for Tokyo and Disney's like well hell if you want it you can have the one in Orlando and so they literally pull the entire show out of Orlando and ship it to Tokyo and so you know they load the animatronic figures into the theater and they set up the screen and the the pre-show area and so now it's it's time to soft open the park they let their first audience in and they show the same film of Mickey's career so now it's the end shot of the film here comes Mickey again with the Disneyland band behind him, and he does as he did in Orlando. He goes, he exits screen left. The problem is the entrance to the theater is on screen right. But again, the, the dutiful, <laughs> good at following orders, Japanese people turn around and face the wall that doesn't have doors. <laughs> Just kidding, folks. <laughs> and this is the thing. The poor cast members have to get in there and in kind of a Tokyo subway at rush hour moment, have to push and shove people into the theater because it's like you're facing the wrong way. But the mouse told us it. And I know what the mouse told you. Go over here. And there was this frantic last minute just before the park officially opens where they had to go back to L.A. They had to make cut a brand new print of the film, but swap the image right. of the final scene. So Mickey was now going in the right direction to enter the theater. And I'm told that the print arrived wet and <coughs> went into uh, the Tokyo Theater, but was there for opening day. And, and finally, the Japanese Mickey Mouse fans finally knew which way to line up. This so. is funny. There's a, a old saying about individuals mm. by themselves are smart. People mm. as a group are really dumb. And you end up following a mouse going towards a blank wall, and the entire crowd turns, faces the wall, and at no point do they realize as a group we're facing the wrong way. Or if you do, you're too embarrassed to be the one that stands out from the crowd and go, hey, we're a bunch of jackholes. We should be turning around going the other way. <laughs> so you have to wait for an employee to come in and prod you like cattle to go the mm -hmm. other way, and it's just proof that people, individuals, very smart, groups of people, very dumb. Well, while Aaron and I are prodding you folks, I want to remind you that Jessica Jones, the third and final season of Jessica Jones, uh, began airing on June 14th. And I think on the last show, you did a wonderful job of sort of explaining what was good and, you know, what was, was interesting about this season of the Netflix show. But you and I have been talking about the language of the Netflix deal and that supposedly after two years, these characters, if Marvel Television so chooses, can go elsewhere. We've been sort of supposing that maybe Will Funk will get a Jessica Jones show revived over at Disney+. Plus. Based on what Kristen Ritter was saying last week, 
We might have been a little premature about that, Aaron. Yeah, she's ready to hang it up. She she thinks that they've told a good story. There's no reason to pull it in any further. And I think every actor reaches that point, whether it be someone playing like Hannibal Lecter, where they go, yeah, we've told that story. There better be a damn good reason for me to go back into that character. And so, she, yeah, she's reached her point of, I feel good where we ended. Melissa Rosenberg, who was the uh, created the show for Marvel Television, pretty much echoed what, what Kirsten had said. I, I feel like this is a really complete closed chapter. I mean, never say never, but I, I feel ready to tell all new stories. And I'm going to take that never say never as a life preserver, Aaron, and, and hope that Kirsten thinks of Jessica in much the same way that Kristen Bell now thinks of Veronica Mars. She did Veronica Mars on UPN and then the CW from September 2004 through May of 2007. And then there was that uh, Veronica Mars movie that actually got funded by Kickstarter in 2013 and was then out in theaters in March of the following year. And starting next month, we've got what is in essence the fourth season of the Veronica Mars TV series, eight episodes airing on Hulu. And Hulu, just kind of prime the pump, is going to be showing seasons one through season three of Veronica Mars starting on July 1st. So I'm kind of hoping that after Kristen takes a break and more to the point that, you know, she sees how much people genuinely love Jessica Jones, that maybe she'll, you know, circle back on it. I wonder uh, more from the Disney slash Marvel side of legal contracts and such if they're revising how they think about signing actors to play characters over a longer period of time, because Mm -hmm. part of me just wonders if Netflix pulls the rug and says, okay, we're done. Does that contractual obligation for Kristen Ritter end right at that moment without, you know, Marvel didn't negotiate that ending and, you know, she didn't negotiate that ending. That was Netflix. And as Disney's getting ready to do things like all these various shows on Disney plus, they have these grand hopes or possibilities at the very least where Scarlet Witch and Vision are going to have their adventure and Falcon and Winter Soldier are going to have their adventure, etc. down the line. And then we can pull them back into the cinematic universe at any point. And you have to think years and years and years because if you're planning two or three seasons, that could be three or four years. And then if you're talking about movies after that, you're talking in a couple of years later. So, I mean, when you sign a contract with Marvel, they're looking at 10 years of your life. Mm-hmm. And I just mm-hmm. wonder if they're thinking more of, you know, we want to get an actor in that's great and have the option to use them until they're no longer able to, you know, function as a human because we want to play this character forever. It worked so well with Robert Downey Jr. to bring him in for the long haul when I think if you would have recast him two or three times along the way, people wouldn't have cried as much at the end of Endgame when he makes his noble sacrifice because that's not just a guy, you know, that's the Tony Stark from day one. And it's so interesting that you bring up Tony Stark's passing because when you and I get back from commercial break, We're going to talk about what just happened with Tom Holland on Graham Norton, and when is a spoiler really a spoiler? (laughs) 
we are, like I said, recording this on Monday, June 24th, which is when the third and final season of Legion, which Aaron absolutely loves, is starting up on FX. And again, I know since we're done recording what I'll be watching on linear television, but speaking of television, uh, this past Friday night, Tom Holland was on the Graham Norton show. He was there doing promotion for Spider-Man Far From Home. And over the course of talking with Graham, Tom mentioned that Far From Home, and this is a direct quote of what he said that night, is a direct continuation of Endgame where we deal with the ramifications of the death of Tony Stark. And as Holland said this, you watch the show, you can hear this loud groan from the audience. And Tom continues, I'm sorry. If anyone hasn't seen the film, if you haven't, you've been living under a rock, to be honest. And that really didn't help the situation. But this opened an interesting question. Avengers Endgame opened in theaters on April 26th of this year. And by the time Tom Holland is sitting on the set with Graham Norton uh, and gave away that Tony Stark dies in this movie, that Russo Brothers movie had already been out in theaters for eight weeks. Mm-hmm. The Russo Brothers themselves asked fans not to talk about Avengers Endgame, not to reveal any spoilers till Monday, May 6th, mm-hmm. which was 11 days after this Marvel Studios film was, was released in theaters. So... I puzzled it. Well, why did they pick May 6th? And Aaron, you were the one who remembered that that was when the first real trail on that day, the first real trailer for Spider-Man Far From Home dropped, right? It was With, the next day. It was the day, the af- day. After, the, after the Russos said, feel free to talk about Endgame all you want, guys. And then it was mm-hmm. the sun went down, sun came up, out came a new mm-hmm. Spider-Man trailer. And right off the bat, they went, hey, Tony's dead, you guys. And everyone was <laughs> like, what, 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 what? what? Basically, that was the Marvel Disney promotional calendar working like clockwork the way it's supposed Mm -hmm. to. They planned out. They wanted to have the movie. They wanted to keep the surprises under wraps. So they said, how how long do we wait before we do this? And they said, hey, we got Spider-Man right around the corner. We do have to promote that. And we do have Mm -hmm. to address some things that are going to be pretty basic points. But they're big points that we need to address directly. And Mm -hmm. so it was, okay, we give them a window of X number of weeks. Russo brothers come out the next day. They say, go ahead and talk spoilers, guys. We don't care no more. The very next day, Spider-Man trailer drops, and they go, Tony's dead. And then you can't blame Tom Holland today Mm -hmm. because... Everyone at Disney is given the green light. This He's known for giving up spoilers before they're supposed mm-hmm. to, supposedly. I also think Tom Holland is scheduled like clockwork as well. <laughs> I do. I, th- I think they're, okay. they're just like, let's have okay. fun with it. You're going to be the spoiler kid who just can't keep his mouth shut, and this is how mm-hmm. we're going to release information. And it's, it's a fun way, and we're going to razz you and give you a hard time like you're the bad kid. But we all know what the game is, and I think they have a good time with that. And I think you're right. Though, that said... They did go to crazy levels of security to try to keep the storyline of Infinity and Endgames under wraps. Oh, I mean, sure. I, I, I think you and I you know, heard the stories about very few members of the cast actually got the full script to read, and even those that did had to go into a room and surrender their cell phone before they went into the room. I mean, they couldn't take the script home to read, and... Even on set, you know, the daily cavity the, searches in the whole nine yards. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I, the story that just broke over like the last week ten to ten days about Tony's funeral at the cabin, and how when they originally shot it, 
the cast was told it wasn't a funeral? Or what were they told? It was a wedding. And I'm a certain wedding. that the direction that they gave at that time was, okay, guys, this is a really important somber moment because we've been waiting for this for a whole time and you're all so touched that you're crying. And everyone went, okay. And then they, <sighs> they put on their somber faces and let the tears flow and the camera went by and everyone goes, why are we all dressed in black? I shouldn't be someone wearing flowers in my hair or something. I don't know. This raises a bigger question. We live in this age now where there are movies like us, where the whole movie hinges on the audience learning something at the very last minute to have the maximum impact. I'm an awful person. I go constantly to a website that's literally called The Movie Spoiler. Because uh, it allows me to be conversational and current about films that I really have no intention of seeing. I can, you know, learn about the storyline and and that sort of thing. And it, but again, I know that makes me a terrible person, and I accept that. <laughs> but realistically, when is it okay to share info about a movie? I mean, I remember the Sixth Sense that that opened in theaters of August of 1999, and I didn't see that thing till two and three weeks after it opened. And I went into a theater cold, full theater. Everybody's really into it. And then what gets revealed about Bruce Willis gets revealed. And I literally out loud, get the, oh my God. <laughs> and like, I'm Jethro Bodine. All right. And Nancy to this day razzes me about it. Yeah, yeah. You're the guy who talked to, oh my God, in the sixth sense. Right. Yeah. It's okay. But I ended up finding out that Shyamalan had to have a twist at every movie. So by the time we got to the village, I had seen a 30-second ad and went, oh, the twist is they're in present day. They're just in isolated woods somewhere. And a friend went to go see it and came back so mad at me because I was actually right. And I was like, I, I didn't know, man. I didn't know. I, I was just joking. But now I'm sorry that that's actually the entire twist of the movie. Yeah. I mean, I guess for me, I mean, when you think about things like, the usual suspects. I mean, and totally disregarding how you may feel about Kevin Spacey or, or Brian Singer. But if you go into that. Love that movie. You, yeah. That ending just plays like gangbusters. Yep. Especially if you, you don't know the secret going in. And yeah. more to the point, I have to admit, I'm a huge fan of those YouTube videos where parents are showing The Empire Strikes Back to their kids for the first time, mm -hmm. and then Luke learns the truth about Darth Vader, and to watch little kids' faces contort, like, what? Are you kidding me? And I, I was quizzing Nancy and Alice about this tonight, and they were talking about Fight Club, you know, from 1999, or, mm -hmm. or the ending of The Sting from 73, or... I mean, even as far back as 1960 in Psycho, if you you didn't know going into that, that really rocked your world. Or, I mean, I still remember being a little kid at the drive-in with my dad and my brothers, and we're in the family, the VW bus, and we're at the drive-in watching Planet of the Apes. And Charlton Heston comes around the corner of the beach, and it's like, as a little kid, you know, it's just... My mind was blown for the better part of a week because of that. Have you ever seen Memento? Christopher Nolan's, uh, not first, but his 
bigger earlier movie nancy was just also mm. mentioning that tonight that's another one of those movies the last 10 frames blow your mind wide open you're like no and then you go back mm. and watch the movie from scratch and uh, and you understand the context of everything and you're like oh my goodness that's genius but every so often there's even a comedy that manages to pull this off mm. have you ever seen the original, actually, it's a, the remake of Bedtime Story, but Frank Oz's Dirty Rotten Scoundrels with Michael Caine and Steve Martin. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love the reverse at, at the end there. And, and, and of course, Citizen Kane. Yeah. If you, you go in cold and don't know that, but I always, in a theater situation, I try to be respectful. You know, I, I follow the rules. I turn up my phone. I don't talk during the movie. But how long later do we owe that courtesy and and let's face it i think you were talking about the fact given our jobs it's really hard well the first thing is if you're the person coming out of a movie theater like on opening night and you go han solo dies mm -hmm. you're a jerk yeah okay you, yeah. you fall squarely in the jerk category nowhere else mm -hmm. okay now for us i'm gonna just say the rules are out the window because We've been speculating about Avengers Endgame for months and months and months. It comes mm -hmm. out. We go see it. There's a million things that we could, could talk about. We could make, you know, 20 shows just on the various aspects of Endgame from cinematography to sound to the story to everything. Mm -hmm. But we don't. We just want to unpack all that speculation we've had for so many months. What was right? What was wrong? What was great? What was bad? All of that. And talk about it like geeks, like enthusiasts. That's all we really care about. And... We can talk about it the day that it comes out because as a listener, you have the option when you see the title is Endgame Review, just don't listen until sure. you see the, the movie. Or if you don't care about the spoilers, then go ahead and listen and enjoy. But I can't choose when listeners listen to something or choose not to listen to something or when they've seen it or when they've not seen it. I don't know their schedule, so I can't plan for that. I can just help make some content put it out there when you're ready for it go ahead and, and unpack that for yourself but if you decide to wait for two or three weeks that's totally fine that's an option right so okay. i think that we can talk about it as soon as we see it and then leave it up to the listener to choose for themselves what diet is going to make up their media consumption for the week in the case of Tom Holland and... Oh, he's totally in the free and clear. I mean, if, okay. if the Russos give the thumbs up, if the Spider-Man trailer comes out and they're talking about Tony Stark's death openly in their media to advertise an upcoming film, and then they put somebody out on a junket and they happen to mention something that happened in a trailer that's already been released, where is the foul in that? Tell me. Just because some people in the audience may not have seen that trailer does not mean that Tom Holland went afoul of the rules that were, you know, set up for his publicity that day. He mm -hmm. followed the guidelines, so uh, people just need to not always get upset because, you know, oh, I didn't know, therefore he's a bad guy. It's like, no, you just weren't up to date on the, the media that's been put out around you, and if you, it takes you six months, if you have to wait for the Blu-ray, DVD, etc. of Endgame before you mm -hmm. watch it, then 99% of the time, all of that's already going to be spoiled by that point, by, by co-workers, memes, stuff online. So you can't blame the media because your, your schedule is a little bit behind. It's just not realistic. Okay. But it's all good. It's just, I mean, there are times where I've accidentally learned things ahead of time and I've been disappointed by it. I go, oh, I wish I wouldn't have known that. But in, in the grand scheme of things... 
I have a roof over my head. I've got a full belly. That's all that really matters at the end of the day. It's not that I learned something about a, a piece of entertainment. You know, I mean, there's bigger problems in the world. Let's not get all twisted over, you know, such kerfluffle. That's the clear-headed adult take on it. And I could circle back onto childhood trauma here that I, I still remember sitting there as a kid in the, the TV room when my father had this habit of walking in, you know, he'd watch whatever was on screen for 30 seconds and then go, oh, yeah, I remember this one. This The aliens are actually full-size astronauts. They're, they're the ones who are attacking Agnes Moorhead. And it's like, Dad! Right, yeah. Some of us, the Twilight Zone, this is our first time in, not 300th. Yeah. So... Well, I mean, like the, like the parents showing their kids Empire Strikes mm -hmm. Back. They've yeah. planned that moment where they've, you mm -hmm. know, kind of shielded their kid from knowing that little factoid so they can be there for the reveal. They, you know, they had a specific reaction to it in the theater. And mm -hmm. Drew McQueenie actually, who we've talked about previously as an entertainment writer, did a wonderful yeah. series, and I think it's now a book, but he would show mm -hmm. his uh, kids specific movies as they were growing up so he could watch their uh, emotional growth, I want to say. And there was the little factoid of, like, his kid was worried, like, Dad, does that mean you could one day want to hurt me? And he's like, no, 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 that's not what that means. That is so not what that means. And so he had to help kind of untraumatize this kid from, he didn't expect the reveal to have that reaction on him. And so then it was like, well, we got to wait a few extra years before we show your brother this one, because, you know, he won't handle that at all. So, yeah, it's really, really funny how, those reactions happen but overall i mean you know if you're talking citizen kane man if you don't know about rosebud by now uh mm. you know I'm, it's just it's pop culture you know it's been in the in the zeitgeist for so long that you can't help but not be aware of these things i mean there's been times where uh my wife will watch family guy and mm -hmm. there'll be a reference to something that she will not understand and then years later we'll watch a movie and she'll go and start laughing about a family guy bit that she didn't get until you know she saw this movie and she's like that was from that and yeah yeah and she, okay oh that's funny yeah, all right now it's ruined in my head forever too because that's all i can think of is the family guy bit they based that off of but yeah stuff like that is if it's been around that long uh sorry man it's just the way that the world turns now something jim that's mm -hmm. brand new and i wanted to throw this at you you remember adam savage from the mythbusters Yes, of Okay, so he's got a new show coming out called Savage Builds. And his first project is a life-size Iron Man suit that flies. You, the, if you've oh. seen the video of the guy that made the little jetpack that you wear on your back and on your arms and on your legs, and he wanted to be like a real-life Tony Stark, and he built this contraption, and he can actually fly and, and hover around, and they've had test videos, and he's been working on it for years. So Adam got with this guy and said, I need your thruster technology to put into my suit. And it's not... Now, the suit, you know, Adam built to look like Iron Man, but then you have mm -hmm. to strap thrusters onto it. So it's a bit more bulky than the Iron Man that you see on screen, but it's an Iron Man suit that flies. And uh, so, yeah, he's got a new show coming out, Savage Builds. Look it up online. I'm pretty certain it might be, like, pay for on YouTube or something, some other subscription service somewhere. But yeah, if you if you look up Savage Builds, you should find that Iron Man suit. And if you're interested, go check it out. Because I've always loved the Mythbusters. I love the science. I love the fact that Adam worked on model making for the Star Wars movies of some you know my favorite things in the whole wide world. So 
anytime he wants to be creative and do something that tickles his fancy particularly is when it gets really fun because he's a fan and he knows how to make the stuff so he can imagine it and then build it and make it do what he wants it to do. And it's just fascinating to watch all the engineering and whatnot going into just nerd love for something. So if you want to see a flying Iron Man suit, there you go. It's pretty awesome. We had a, a listener reach out who wanted to thank you because you recommended the Favreau uh, chef show. Oh, that cool. They, they sought it out this weekend and just loved it. They wound up binge watching the whole thing. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And uh, before we close here, just to, 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 because never expected to be able to use this Adam Savage story, but, but Nancy and I were lucky enough 15 years ago now. Mm-hmm. We used to be able to go to this event that was called the Visual Effects Society. Every year they'd hold this symposium in the L.A. Film School. All of the effects professionals would gather together in one space and, and they'd close the doors and share all these great behind-the-scenes stories. And I want to say that Mythbusters had only been on the air a season, maybe two, so it's Adam on stage. And they've, they brought some of the props in the films that, that they've worked on. But they were telling stories about working in the, the effects business. Mm. And one time, Adam is working on a horror film. But the thing, it's a very low-budget horror film. So he's doing a lot of the work on the severed body parts and the, the corpses in his hotel room. And you're driving to the set because you, you're behind schedule and you're going a little fast and suddenly the police pull you over. And as <laughs> the policeman is walking up to the car, you have to start the explanation because, of course, they're looking in the back seat that is filled with body parts. <laughs> and it's like, all right, let me explain to you. It's all fake. You know, please don't shoot me. And in, in Adam's case, he was on the set and he got a phone call like, you really need to go back to the hotel. Because <laughs> you know, the maid went in to clean the room and freaked out and called the police. And they're all in the room right now. And they'd really like to talk to you about the severed limbs. That's funny. The stories you end up getting from those types of jobs, right? I mean, they oh, could yeah. only happen under those very, very specific circumstances of, I swear I only look like a serial killer because... There and you can. have a valid explanation that can get you out of that situation. Yeah, that's that's mm-hmm. pretty amazing. One final story and we'll close here. But this is from actually straight from Greg, Greg Nicotero, who is the gentleman who started doing the effects on The Walking Dead and now is the producer of The Walking Dead. It's the same exact scenario. He is working on a horror film in Georgia, but he has to then fly overseas to go to, I want to say that, again, I think they're shooting in Budapest in the studios there. And so he's he's working all night to finish an effect for Georgia. And then it's like, okay, this is done. It's an effect for The Walking Dead. So there's a lot of fake blood. There's a lot of ooze and that sort of thing. But good, it's done. Okay. So he gets in his car and he drives to the airport. And the effect is already in the cargo of the, the plane. So he's only got his carry-on. So he drops his bag as it's going on the x-ray machine the belt the x-ray machine and he just pauses for a moment they, well you have to take off your shoes it's so, oh so he takes off his shoes and he lifts them up and puts them on the conveyor belt and notices that they are flecked with movie blood mm-hmm. 
And then he looks at his hands and it's like, hands caked with blood. T-shirt that he's wearing is caked with blood. And it's one of the things that's like, oh, I look like the guy who's killed his girlfriend and is fleeing the country. And the thing is, because it's four o'clock in the morning, TSA doesn't care. All right. All they care is, do you have a water bottle in your bag? No. Right. All right. Go on to your gate, sir. And so this Greg Nicotero would be serial killer, scampered to the gate and flew to Europe. The end. Well, he just should have had a dripping axe and a severed head in the other <laughs> hand and seen how far that would have gotten him. It just, they never even looked up. They just stamp, stamp. Here you go. Have a good flight. They just don't bring any food in here. Yeah. Okay. Oh, by the way, though, while we were talking, I did hammer on Google just to see if there's any update on advanced ticket sales for Avengers Endgame, Aaron. Nothing so far. Okay. But maybe by the time this thing airs, we'll actually have some info to that effect. Okay. Anyway, folks, there are a lot of other podcasts here at the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. We, of course, have uh, Disney Dish with Glenn Testo. We have Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor. We have uh, Looking at Lucasfilm with Dan Z. We have the Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse. And we have our newest podcast, I Want That, with Michelle Valladolid. If you could head over to iTunes and rate and recommend these shows, you could head over to Bandcamp and subscribe. And we will be back next week, hopefully with more Marvel-related news. And until then, folks, take care. More Marvelous Disney will be coming soon. In the meantime, check out one of the other great shows found only on the Jim Hill Media Network.